Welcome to the Real Estate Fight Club, a podcast for agents where you'll witness a battle of opinions about topics affecting your real estate business. There are many ways for agents to achieve success. The secret is to find which approach will work for you. Now, always in your corner, here are your hosts, Jen Mertland and Monica Weekly. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Fight Club. What's up, Jay Mert? We are doing my favorite topic today, Monica. Listen, I don't want you to like lose your, I don't know, your, can we, yeah, we do say shit all the time. I don't want you losing your shit today on this topic, okay? Sorry. Listen, you need control yourself on this one. Okay. I will not. You can. All right, guys. Uh, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're listening. You are going to absolutely love today's topic. We're going straight to the source for all the real answers around this question, which is why real estate teams don't work. Why don't real estate teams work? And we're going to hit the five mistakes that agents Maybe they're great agents. Maybe they've had a lot of big big success early. That's great. But these are mistakes that agents make when trying to build a team or even just deciding on build a team. And you and you and I talk about this a lot. It's probably one of the things we agree on the most. (laughs) Teams are not for most people, right? It just doesn't translate successful. Agent does not always translate to great leader. And I'm sure we're going to get into all this. So please introduce our guests. I'm so excited. Yes, we went straight to the source, the people that know how to build teams and not just build teams, build successful teams. Today, we have with us two guests from the, the Waters International Realty Group. We have Chris Waters, founder and CEO, and Susanna Madrano, who is the national sales leader and coach for the Waters International Realty. Welcome, gang. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah. Now, we have talked to Susanna before on the podcast. Yes. That was a good one. And Yeah, it was a great one about common objections. Common objections. Yes. And And Monica and I got to dive a little bit deeper with her on how you guys are building teams differently and your teams are successful. And we are so fascinated by this. We wanted to share it. So let's dive in. What is the most common mistake? Can we start with Chris just kind of giving us a little like overview of why you decided to build what is arguably the right kind of team? And then we can dive into that. Can you give us a little yeah, back? Great. Well, I joined a big box brokerage and joined a team. You can and- name names, Chris. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many? I have mad respect for them. God, so it was how many years? 16, 17 years ago. So yeah, 16, 17 years ago. I joined a team as a buyer's agent at a big box brokerage. And I recognized very quickly that there was a proverbial ceiling there for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see a clear trajectory path moving forward. And I say a proverbial ceiling because I understand this now. But in that moment, what I didn't understand was I felt it, but I didn't fully understand it is, you know, when I joined that team, I was getting internet leads and that's all mm-hmm. I was getting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't getting sign calls. I wasn't getting referrals. I wasn't getting like any of the, the type of leads that would close faster. Right. And so everybody listening to this probably knows leads well on the internet, you know, they take six, 12 months or longer to mm-hmm. close. You're going to close like one to 2% of them. 
And so, I'll, you know, I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, okay, there's, you know, only so many hours in the work week. If all I'm working is internet leads and I can only work so many in a month, right? Right. For so many leads you can get in a month, there's a proverbial ceiling there. And I'm thinking right. to myself, like, how am I going to grow even further? And so it was kind of a frustrating experience joining that team because I didn't really feel like I saw this like career trajectory for myself. And I left rather quickly um, after joining that team. And then I joined a, a more boutique brokerage and it was a great experience. I learned a lot of like really great technical stuff, but I still felt so lost around like, what is the trajectory for a professional in this industry? Like, right. okay, great. Be a real estate agent, go sell 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 50, 60 homes. Okay, cool. I got that. Oh, but you're like, funny. Oh. The average one sells five, man. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> not in our team, not in our team, not in your world. But I'm I'm just a young person like wondering, you know, hey, I'm going to be in this business for the next 30, 40 years. Like, okay, well, what's after 60, 70 homes? Right. And so I think about this from, I told you guys this before the podcast, I think about this from a very altruistic perspective. Like, I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through, which is a lack of clarity around like, how do you progress forward? Mm-hmm. I, I think I've heard Tony Robbins say like, we're not finding forward progress in life. We're not going to find happiness. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted real estate to be my thing, but I couldn't see how I was going to progress over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And so that was kind of, I don't know, not demoralizing, but it was kind of depressing, you know, like not to have clarity into that. And so, you know, I didn't want anybody else to go through that. I mean, it it sucks. And I think I wasted several years in my early part of my career, like trying to navigate the industry, if you will, and like learn about the different brokerage models and like what the best fit is, et cetera, et cetera. And so... In 2010, I got to a place where I was taking a lot of listings. I started generating a lot of leads and almost out of necessity, I needed to hire agents. And so in the summer of 2010, I was like, you know, I got to start hiring people to help me manage all these leads. And I'd love to tell you that that first year, everything went great. But the (laughs) truth is, it was a complete disaster. I recruited 20, 20 people in that first year. And we sold by the summer of 2011, in that 12 month period, we had sold 98 homes, but me and one other person had sold 80 of those. <laughs> right. That's what happens. There you go. I'm looking at, I get a call from my accountant and he's like, Hey, great news. You don't owe any money in taxes. And I was kind of like panicking. I'm like, Oh my God, how much am I going to owe in taxes? Because I closed 40 houses or four, over 40 houses. And he's like, No, you don't owe any money. And I'm, you know, and I'm not paying attention to the bank account. And I'm like, Man, I was like, What the hell went wrong? And I was like, where'd all my money go? And he's like, well, you're paying for this for that agent. Yep. You're paying for that. You're paying for that. And he said, you, you know, and so what I basically figured out was like, I was subsidizing all these other agents that weren't even performing. Yeah. So in the summer of 2011, that other agent, his name is Bradley Pounds. I went to him like literally in passing on the way to a, a listing appointment. I said, Brad, I'm burning all this down. And I'm going to start all over. And so oh. I asked Brad. Jen likes to do that. Likes to burn it down, yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Light that fire. I asked Brad if he would focus on the buy side, helping train buyer agents, teaching them how to convert leads, et cetera. I would focus on building up the listing side and we would each individually spend a significant amount of time mentoring, coaching people and helping them find success. And 24 months later, is wildly successful. In 2013, basically two years after burning it all down, I think we did 100 million in sales, 325 closings in a single year. So it, you know, we were like, man, I think we're we're on to something. Mm-hmm. Is um, it fair to say you you had to pull the arrow back in order to go forward? In other words, you had to take stop and take that time to train and mentor and help them grow. 
which probably yeah. felt frustrating at times. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's there's definitely an opportunity cost because if you're training some other agent, you're not out there producing deals Selling. yourself. Mm-hmm. So, but I also, I mean, what you said though, and I know Susanna talks about this a lot too. Like, body does not equal revenue for your group. So it's yeah. not just training people; it's training the right people, which I assume is like. That could be all five of five tips, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That was the mistake. That was the mistake one, hiring the wrong who. Like, look, he right. ended up with this too. And that's what people trying to develop their own team sometimes just go in and recruit. And it's only to like fill a seat and it's not quality, right? It's quantity. And that's mm-hmm. a mistake that a lot of, I think, team owners do when they want to mm-hmm. form a team is that they ro- hire the wrong who. Yeah, if we're going to go through top five, number Let's one, exactly what Susanna just said. It's the recruitment side. You think you hire a warm body and they're going to produce and it's so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and if we even just look at the industry averages, right? 85% of realtors are getting out of the business within the first three years. So the chances of hiring a pro- somebody who is going to produce is really low if every 85% of people are getting out, right? So how do you figure out who's the right who. So I think this leads into what I think is the second mistake. And the first, when I talk about recruitment, it's just more specific to the fact people just from a recruiting perspective, they just pick a warm body. So like that's, Mm -hmm. but if you dig a little bit deeper, the, the second mistake is more specific to the mistake teams make is specific to the selection process. So like I call it the SOP, if you will, of like how you go about selecting people. So for example, most teams, they go through some interview process, maybe they interview three, four people, and they green light the person. And mm-hmm. the team owner kind of checks a box in their head like, okay, I've got the right person. And they think to themselves, like, there's a high probability they're going to succeed because they've gone through multiple interviews. And because of the multiple interviews, again, there's a higher probability they're going to succeed. But what we discovered is the real selection process just barely begins Mm. Those first yeah. couple interviews. Yeah. And I wrote this down. You think the decision is made in the interview. Most team owners think that, that, that you, you made the decision in the interview, but you can only make the decision after judging them from seeing them in action. Mm-hmm. Can you talk is that more a 90 about day? The... Yeah. Thank you, Monica. Yes. Yeah, is that a 90 day, six month? What is that in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a 90 day deal. And I, I think you're looking for something different in each month. Mm-hmm. So, For example, in in month one, like the key thing you're looking for is just their level of effort. Like they haven't Mm -hmm. haven't been there long enough, right? It's like, you know, their skills and all that kind of stuff is kind of up in the air. And a culture fit, Waters. We got to like them. They got to like us too. That both is bending in in that first first thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's culture fit. I actually think in the interview process, like that's probably the only thing you can have a high probability of like creating some alignment on is like, Mm -hmm. Do you think this is somebody you would go hang out with on the weekend? Mm-hmm. Like, is this someone you can like generally connect with? I think you can figure out that in the interview process. And that's the one good thing about the interview process. And other basic things like, are they full time? Are they committed to this? Do they have any other distractions in their life? Mm-hmm. Former sales experience? What's their natural personality profiles? What are their desires? Like all those basic things. I definitely think you can check all those boxes. But yes, in the first month, as Susanna said, I think you validate like, yes, is this somebody that's going to create the type of environment I want to have in the office. But again, also in month one, you get to you know see their activity. Like, are they, for example, on the phones, prospecting, 
and applying effort. <clears throat> Very simplistically, if you send somebody to the gym and they do 10 reps and then somebody else goes to the gym and do, does 100 reps, like who's going to get stronger? Right. And so that I level, felt like you said cold calls and not reps. You said cold calls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Talks to 10 for sale by owners or 100 for sale by owners. Who's yeah. going to get a deal first? Yeah. So it's effort, like, too. Yeah. Like, they may be failing all over themselves, but right. you're seeing yeah. them show up and trying. That's right. right. Like, yeah. the effort and showing up, trying. Yeah. And I think you can check the boxes. Susanna suggested culture. So it's, you're looking for something different in each of those. What is the second time. month you're looking for then? What is the well, development over the 90 coachability, days? Coachability, coachability, yes. like with them putting and applying effort the second month. Okay. You're giving them feedback yep. and they're not getting pissed off about mm-hmm. it or like going in, like going into the room and hiding themselves from you. Right. Yeah. They're taking that feedback. They're coachable. And they're, yeah. they're actually going to go back and do it something. Case in point, when you recruit someone who's already an existing agent from a different model, again, month two, they start to try to cut corners and do it their old way. No, this is the water's way, right? So so month two is a very, very critical. Yeah, that's what I call it. The water's wave, the water's wave. I like it. No, come on. We have our own slogan. I love it. All right. What about month three then? And guys, we're still in the number one mistake, but we're going to be moving. Well, like one, two. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's really important. Two. This, this one. Committed. Yeah. Committed. You got culture fit. You got coachable fit. And then the third one is committed. Are they showing up now that, they, now that they've gotten a little bit of skill? Are they still showing up every day and representing? Now that it got hard. And yeah. it's like, you got to have all three yeses after 90 days. And if not, you don't have a keeper. Yep. And if they haven't, in your opinion, obviously there are exceptions to this, but if they haven't gotten it by 90 days, they're not going to get it. Or when do you extend that? You know, it's not necessarily about deal flow in the first 90 days. Like I feel like I meet so many team owners that put all these ridiculous standards on productions in the first 90 days. And I'm like, dude, give me a break. You know, like the extension of the interview. (laughs) Yes. The first 90, in my opinion, the first 90 days is is an extension of the interview. So I love um, that mindset about it. But what about if they're not performing? Because so many real estate agents where we want to be liked and we like everybody, right? So it's like, what is your all's advice if people are not performing? Like, when do you cut the cord? Quickly. Uh, do you mean on like, Fridays after three? On yeah. Fridays after three? After... Like for real. And it's like a timeline. Like I can speak I for this. Like, no, it's true. Like you have the conversation two weeks and two weeks and two weeks, you work with them. You go through the process. They need to be showing up with you. You need to be showing up for them and helping them do whatever it is that they need to overcome. And then if they're not showing up mm-hmm. and, or if I'm not helping them, then in two right. weeks, we call it, we're just not a fit. Right. Is that one of the mistakes though, that there's not this consistent follow-up to catch these types of things? Or is that kind of like an auxiliary mistake? No, I mean, I, I do hear that a lot from other team owners. Like, they're like, oh, I don't have any expense for holding this person's license. Wrong. Like, yeah, <laughs> wrong. Like, your time is worth money. You know, maybe you give them a CRM, you got to pay a licensing fee. Maybe they have a desk. Like, there's That's a lot mistake of... mistake number two, Chris, when they're listening to everybody yeah. else that has... Oh, don't worry. It's just, they're not hurting anything. So they're listening to all these other people that have half-assed teams, right? It's like, right. just go ahead and hire... Just go ahead ahead and have those buyer agents that are not doing anything, right? If you're building it, they always say in business, like you have to decide who you're going to be and you can't be all things to all people. So if you're using like the team organizational model, you have to be committed to the process 
that you're only going to find and accept agents that are going to produce at a very high level. And so it seems like some team owners get in a mindset of limit. Uh, they lack the abundance mindset. They're coming from a place of fear, uncertainty, limitation, and they're just like hoping that that agent at some point will close a deal and they'll get money out of them. So they don't know themselves. That's mistake number three. Team owners going into it. I'm just falling right behind you, Waters. Just telling yeah. you. That I love it. it. I'm dissecting and deferring what you're saying. Wait, so the, the second mistake was that they're listening to the wrong people. Yes. Okay. They're and not talking to yeah. others that are having the success they're looking for in the right, right way. All right. So right. then the third is what? Not yeah. knowing themselves. Like it, to Chris's mm-hmm. point, it's like they don't truly know what they don't know. And they got to know that they have to be consistent. They have to be confident, right? They have to cut people, even though it's going to hurt. And so a lot of them are going into it, not knowing themselves, like how how, self-awareness essentially. Or not being realistic about, because people are like, oh, well, I'm going to change. I can do this. I can eat salad every day for a week or for months on end and go to the gym every day when they haven't gone to the gym once, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, this time I'm going to make sure that I do a meeting every week with the person and give them feedback and do all that stuff. But what is the reality? Like, are you really going to do that? Okay, hold on. I want to fight right here because I think that that one is actually got to be number one because this awareness factor is where the agents get into the trouble of thinking they're great leaders and they're great mentors and they're willing to coach. When in reality, they are like independent fireballs that just want to sell shit and they don't care about other people and bringing them along. And that to me is the number one mistake that people make in deciding to get build a team just because they want more money. Yeah. I'll, cha- I'll challenge you, Monica. I'll ch- challenge you. Even, even one step further, not being consistent, meaning you only close, say, 20, 30 deals. Then you think you know everything and you go start your team. I want to see 20, 30 deals, sometimes 50 for at least two or three years that you have a proven track record and yeah. being consistent. Right. You know, before you have and build your foundation and have people join you, you got to have a proven track record. You got to. Yeah, but do you have to have leadership skills though? Waters, did you have leadership skills prior to you wanting to change the world? No, zero. Okay, so you developed those as you went. Chris? <laughs> I didn't have leadership I mean, I, I skills. I, I'm a leadership coach. Like, come on. I think I like had a genuine interest in wanting to help people succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, like I don't know. I guess I was on John Maxwell's but maybe that's, level of leadership, maybe a see, level I one think, too. I think you are different in that way because I've seen agents who are extremely successful independently, and they just—it's the ego drive that gets them to the team. They or want they think they're going to make more money, and really they're losing money. They're going to lose money, right? But but Chris, I think that's why this is working for you because you. Yeah, I think you got to you got to really challenge your why. You know, like. To just start a team to put up big numbers so you look good on stage or whatever isn't the right reason to do it. Right. You've got to have a genuine interest in wanting to help the agent succeed. And if you or have a lot of money to back up your big ego, like a lot. I have to say something about Chris real quick. All the awards that we've won in Austin, like every year we pretty much take home the number one team. And he he has yet to go on his own behalf to accept it. He always sends some of us are his team members to go and accept that award. That's how humble he is. It's like, he will not just to his point. It's not about the award. It's not about being number one. Like it's just about pushing people to break their own comfort zone. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's do you have to, do you think that that is like, if you do have a big ego, do you think that you can't have a successful team? 
I mean, I think you can, you, you know, if you have some emotional intelligence and you're aware, (laughs) and just pause for a moment and remind yourself that you're here to help others succeed. And then, you know, you'll be taken care of in the end if other people succeed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know, I know lots of big ego team owners that are, that have success, but then, you know, I also know others that have a big ego and like literally they would make more money if they were just a salesperson versus. Right. Right. That's it. Gosh, this, Chris, I can actually see why you're having success because I genuinely believe that is the space that you come from. I can see that in this, just this one conversation. And that is very, very different than most team leads. It just really is. They say it almost like they know they have to, but I don't think when they're sitting quietly that that's actually what's driving them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. You got to wake up every day thinking like, how am I going to help these agents? sell more. Here's one of the things I wrote down as another mistake a lot of agents made, and it's the opportunities the team creates for its agents. Oh, So not all leads are created equal. Some Mm -hmm. leads will close faster. Some leads have a higher conversion rate. And for example, when I was at that big box brokerage on that team, I was only given like one oil well to pull from, which is why I had, and I was correct in that thought process back then was that I felt this proverbial ceiling because, you know, there were only so many hours in the day. There's only so many leads I can work. And I figured out quickly it was going to take time to convert these leads. And I, and I realized like I needed more oil wells, if you will, mm-hmm. for opportunities or clients to get in front of. And if I was only working leads that are six to 12 months out and only one to 2% of them convert, there's only so many leads I can close because there's only so many hours in the day. And so to get an agent to sell 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 homes in a year, I need to give them opportunities that mm-hmm. are ready to close in the next 30 to 90 days. Right. And one of the things that most teams in the US do is they say, oh, we give out leads, we give out leads. And they're giving out these Facebook leads that cost $1 or $2. Conversion rates are 1%. Or maybe they give them Google pay-per-click leads and the conversion's 2%. But if that's all you give your agents, they're going to fail. Right. You need, you need other areas to have a source of business to succeed. And so, you know, it's it's just such a disservice to agents out there because they know they need leads, but then they're brand new to the business. They don't understand that not all leads are created equal. And then the other thing that kind of sucks is you got teams, they just honestly, the lead sources that convert really fast, they're very expensive on a cost per lead basis. And you got mm-hmm. you got to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of teams don't have that bankroll. And so right. they're they're just they're already set up for there are the agents on those teams are already set up for failure. Mm-hmm. Unless, what do you think a team owner needs? Like let's say they are listening to this and they're like, you know, that makes sense. And I believe I have what it takes. Like I'm coming from the right place. Like I have the production. What do you think they need in the bank? Yeah. So Susanna and I are helping roughly, we have like 18, 18 teams mm-hmm. under our wing across the United States and Canada. Nice. So we're in, we're in small markets, medium-sized markets, big markets. One of the biggest markets we're in is Toronto, Canada. It's got like 7 million plus people. So And like all of them are realtors also in oh, Toronto. There's like 120,000. <laughs> so many. So it really depends on the market you're in. The more the going to be like a percentage of revenue or something, or is there a way to quantify it? Well, I mean, the lead again, the leads leads on a cost per lead basis 
are wildly different. Whether mm-hmm. you're in, for example, Jonesboro, Arkansas versus Austin, Texas, that lead spread is huge, right? And like, for example, if you're going to spend money on PPC, well, you need at least, you got to buy at least 100 leads to close one deal, right? And so let's just say the cost per lead is, I don't know, $200. Well, $200 times 100 leads is 20,000 bucks. So that's not going to work. So it's not zero dollars. That's what you're saying. They need to have some money. I would say, so my- After paying taxes. My anecdotal number is if you're in a small market, like population less than 200,000, I believe you probably need somewhere around 100, yeah, like 100,000 in the bank, a minimum to like set yourself up, to start your, start getting things going. And you're still going to have to continue producing as an agent with the 100. Right. right. Yeah, this is definitely Ooh, that's not- That's the rub. We need, we need to take a break, but this is definitely not how people are thinking when they're starting a team <laughs> to have a hundred grand in the bank in a small, in a small market. So Jen, let's take a little break and come back for the. Perfect. Let's box. hear a word from our favorite partner. And when we, we return, we will get the final two mistakes. If you're like me, then what you need right now is great leads. My number one lead source is a marketing engine called Pipeline Pro Tools. So we've hooked up with them to give you the playbook that I'm using that has generated over 12 leads in the last 90 days. So go to pipelineprotools.com slash fight club, book a quick demo so that they can help you figure out how many leads you will need in order to get the business that you're looking for. And then they will give you the playbook that I've been using for free. Again, that's PipelineProTools.com slash Fight Club. Welcome back to the Battle Inside of the Ring. Although not a lot of battling, maybe just more so. We're battling the audience. Yes, yes. This is so eye-opening in a lot of ways. We've talked so much, Jen, over the years of doing this about team mistakes, but I think there are some things in here that like we've even missed. Yeah, for sure. This is super interesting. So I'm so glad you guys are here today talking about this. What, Chris, what else do you want to highlight as a mistake that you see a lot or something that you guys have figured out is one of the really key factors in the success that can also be like the opposite of a mistake, I guess. Yeah. So beyond the opportunities we were just talking about, not all leads being created equal, the next mistake would be that technology is going to cause you to be a great team or technology is going to help you sell a hundred extra homes or technology right. is going to not happening. Give you some like huge Did you just say you had to work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know what's what's crazy is like we've literally gone to a point over the last I don't know how many years where we when the agents come in, we have a pre-printed <laughs> list of the prospects they need to call. Because the thing we would find is like as we'd walk through the sales floor People spent all their time like researching and like reading about the leads and like checking their search history versus just picking up the damn phone and having a right or doing their business card for four days. And I mean, honestly, well, that just speaks to the type of person, though, right? Their personality. Like, if you have that high C on the disc assessment, they're going to want to research the hell out of the person before they call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, your probability of success with that, you know, high C, pretty low in sales. Actually, let me ask you guys this. I'm going to do a small rabbit hole. So we did a podcast on who is a better salesperson, introverts or extroverts? You got to pick a side. Uh, I think extroverts definitely will have a lot more friends, but I think introverts are better salespeople. Uh, Susanna, what do you think? 
as an we had Michael Reese. As, as an extrovert, I would say extroverts until I read the extroverts edge. Or the introverts edge. They are a secret weapon. If coached the right way, because they're the thing about introverts is you can coach them in a way and they're gonna they're very they're coachable. Yeah. yeah. And so I would have to go with the introvert. All right. Mm-hmm. Good. Get it. All right. Susanna, <laughs> what was your fourth one? Well, I had the not knowing yourself, the wrong hires, you know, going with the wrong who, listening to others. I think you have to have a thick skin. So I think a lot of people come into wanting to have a team and are not open and willing to do things. And I've learned this phrase from Chris Waters because he said it to me for many, many years. You have to be open and willing to test, test, fail several Mm -hmm. times and be okay with it until you get that win. Like you have to be okay with failing forward. Yes. And a lot of people coming off of all these accolades of getting all these deal counts and how many millions they've sold. What I have found is when they make that switch and they start failing because it's something completely different, they can't handle it. They're not open to just pushing forward. And I think that is a huge mistake that a lot of people make in trying to transition from high producer into team owner. I love it. Chris, what's your last one? My last one is training. So I don't know where I I picked up on this, but I wish somebody had told me basically being a great real estate agent essentially came, like comes down to mastering three skills, three like kind of like macro overarching skills. The first one is inside sales. And what's interesting is I did some research on this on LinkedIn and there's more people with the job title inside sales associate than there is real estate agents. It's a huge industry. Like there's people like it's a massive industry of people that do just inside sales, like pipeline management, booking appointments, et cetera. The second thing is outside sales. So that's like the process you go through when you meet somebody face to face that has no idea who you are. Right. And Susanna's heard me say this a million times. I think the bridge to riches in real estate is learning how to convert a complete stranger into a client. Yes. The second domino is outside sales. Over the phone. What's that? Oh, over the phone. Over the phone is step one. Then step two is the outside sales piece, the conversion mm-hmm. piece. And then the last piece is the subject matter expertise, which is like understanding contracts, negotiations, working with the lender, title company, et cetera. So I wish somebody had like explained that to me in the beginning, just so I understood like contextually where it was I was going from a training perspective. So I think that's one mistake team owners make is not telling people like, where is it they need to go? What do they need to develop? And then the other they start thing- with the contract first, and then they have no idea that the person could pick up the phone, right? It's like they always do. Well, because oh they God. want to feel like they know everything so that they if they get asked a question, that they'll be right, right? They want to feel like they're yeah. safe. Yeah. Interesting. And I'd say the last thing is like when you start a team, you have to realize like you're basically like the yeah, you maybe you give yourself the CEO title, but you're also the inside sales manager. Mm-hmm. You're the outside sales manager. You're the contract, marketing. You know, like you're you're the all janitor. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and like you, and it's a hell of a, a balancing act. But like, if you don't train the agents on those skills I mentioned, like you're not going to set them up for success. And so, you know, you've got to listen to call recordings. You've got to sit next to them. You got to make calls with them. These are the things that are going to drive the results. You need to go on appointments with them. They need to watch you. You need to watch them. And then you need to be tracking their performance and then looking at their conversion rates. And then you as a coach, understanding like where you need to go invest time to help them get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think though, throw agents out there and like, yeah, if you succeed, great. Yeah. Great. Good right. luck. But if we're like 
taking all this into account and we're looking at the 1.5 million real estate agents just in this country, what do you think is like the realistic percentage of those agents that would actually make good team leaders and like building a fairly decent sized team? I don't know. Yeah, 1%. I think they think it's like 100%, but it's not. <laughs> 1%. Yeah. I agree with Chris. 1%. You think it's 1%? Or fewer. I, would I feel argue. like it's less. This is the same mistake businesses make when they promote the best salesperson to sales manager. It's just, it happens over and over again. And it's just a totally different role. Chris, what you just went through, which is the idea of sitting next to them while they make a call, let them listen to you make calls, go on appointments with them. I was a team leader at KW for many years. I don't even think I once saw somebody. Hello, you saw me do that. Where you were training somebody? My whole team, but we were Marymont. That's why you didn't see us. Yeah, I didn't see that. And I wasn't team leader at the time when you were doing that, by the way. Jen, Jen felt like you were. Chris, if they understood that, and Susanna, if they understood that level of investment, in their time, do you think mm. they'd actually even try this thing if they knew what it took? Suzanne and I teach this live 90-day class called the CEO Masterclass. And I don't even know, we've had hundreds and hundreds, I don't even know, it's, we've had a lot of people go through it. And kind of the, the end of the class, we invite them to a one-day workshop in Austin. And I kid you not, we have, we have probably spent 98% of our time telling people when they come to Austin after we meet them and really understand their goals and all that, Telling them like you should not do this. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, right. Why, like, why, people straight. I believe why, this. Why, you know, we asked them like, "Why are you doing this?" Yeah. Like we had we had somebody come in in our office and they had this very successful Airbnb business in Phoenix, mm-hmm. Arizona. You know, they owned this boutique hotel that was super successful. They owned like fifty Airbnbs. I mean, they were just crushing it, and you know they see the vanity of real estate on TV. They obviously Phoenix has a lot of real estate agents. It's a big market. And so they, you, again, you see it all on TV and it looks so sexy. It looks easy. They want to own a team. They want to have a real estate team. And it's like, all it is is money. You're printing money. Right. And yeah, they're really great people love them to death. And I was like, guys, like you're already crushing it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Like, Stay in your lane. You're not going to just like hire 20 people and they're going to go sell a bunch of houses. Like it's just not that easy. Going to crush you if you just do like that's like I can't just go buy 50 properties and all of a sudden do Airbnb because right. it's I don't know shit about running Airbnbs. I'm I'm right. not a you know, I mean right? if you run Airbnbs you're basically like a hotel operator. That's all skill, just like it is being an agent. So yeah. What is the common thread amongst the 18 or the top? Uh, team leads that you have of the 18, maybe the top five or something. What is something that stands out to you that's kind of a common thread? Humble, coachable, massive desire to succeed. Humble. Have you met a realtor? <laughs> yeah. The most you find them. Are very humble. 18 they're of very, them. They're very coachable. They're the hundreds and hundreds coachable. of that. See, you see, like how long it took. Yeah. That's so yeah, that's cool. Common theme. Yeah. So some, if people we have wanna... one group that has an SC personality. That's a couple that has an SC personality type. And uh, yes, both. And when we met them, they were both selling, but and they were selling a total of about 25 homes a year between the two of them. And so we met them three years ago. And I think this past year, how many homes did they sell? Susan, 295, 300 homes? Just north of 300. Yeah. But I think this year. Yeah. Wow. With their team? And I, yeah. mm-hmm. and I think how many people four and 500 this year. 
you know, probably like they have one listing agent, they have two listing agents, 10 to 12 buyer agents. And the second listing agent's brand new. She just came on board. So really they had one listing agent last year for most of the year. They're in Florida. Yeah, they're in Florida. So anyways, they grew grew their business 10x, literally 10x. They literally grew it 10x. And And they came to us by this, Waters. They read read your book. They read this book. The Millionaire Real Estate Team. They were just, you know, I think they were tired of hitting their head against the wall. And we're in the trenches doing this every day. So, you know, we know all the little nuances of how to navigate scale on a team. So, yeah. Incredible. All right. How can people, first of all, let's recommend the book again. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it's being held up. But if you are not watching on YouTube, if you're just listening on your favorite podcast platform, it's the Million Dollar Real Estate Team by Chris Waters. W-A-T-T-E-R-S. I love it. If are you guys, do you have the CEO masterclass coming up again? Or if people want information about that, where can they find that? So yeah, we actually stopped doing it because we we were honestly we just got too busy and there's only so many of us. But we are going to be reigniting the CEO masterclass probably sometime this summer. Okay. So I'm gonna guess probably like June or July. We'll probably reignite the CEO masterclass. We even have like a leadership series that's going to be part of it. Oh. Also training them on how to be leaders because that's part of it. So it's going to be even more intense it. than it has been before. I love it. I All think right. start, read the book. We have some cool downloadable things in the book, like some free stuff we give out in the book, like interviewing questionnaires, lead generation tactics, strategies, list different things related to the listing side. So there's a lot of like freebies you can go download when you see the hyperlinks in the book and and for anybody that listens to the show like i told you guys y'all they can go order the book for free the um i put the link in the chat box it's it's the million dollar real estate team.com and if you go to that site it's a landing page to get the book for free and you just have to pay for it. or you can go on amazon it's on amazon you can read reviews on amazon and buy it on there it's not free on amazon no yeah, don't pay for, not free. Just pay for shipping pay. yeah just hey if, and if you order it through that landing page we'll also sign it for you Oh, (laughs) you guys have such a cool perspective on teams. Thank you for this. And thank you for what you're doing for the industry. Because I think Jen and I both will agree on this. This is the type of industry we want to be a part of is one that's being led. This is where it's headed. I mean, teams, this is like one of the, where I think one of the two ways it's headed. Big teams are one person, you know? Awesome. You guys are great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Fight Club podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get updates when new episodes are available. And we truly love feedback and would appreciate all likes, reviews, and suggestions for future topics.